like working with your hands, do you? Yeah, I'm good with my hands. I was wondering if you want to do a bit of Korean work. 500 bucks. 500? Not enough for you? No, no, yeah, that's five. Yeah, that's great. Five hundred's good. Good. Well, I want you to go down to Bondi, see a chick called Sharon, drop a big pile of cash on her. Yeah, how much? Ten grand. Yeah, what's it for? What's it for? It's not yours to be asking that, mate. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm the other one, Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing extremely, extremely well because I'm spitting and being in the top 10 Polish podcasts while I do it. <laughs> that, is, that is a thing you told me. <laughs> that is a thing that is a correct fact. Polish language, though? No, just Polish <laughs> podcasts. Because we don't do the Polish language no, thing anymore. No, you do. You can still do it. What's the title of the movie we're doing in Polish? Go, three, two, one. Dvierence. Ooh, that sounds Italian. Dvierence. <laughs> Doesn't it? I guess it does when I put an Italian accent on. <laughs> or even when you said it normally before. No, we are doing our show Pictures Powwow, in which we talk about a movie that has come highly recommended, whether it's from Bartek, myself, or the listening people. Last episode, it was from the listening people. This episode, Bartek, it's from you. Oh, we go from the end of the cycle to the start. It's almost like there's a rhythm, maybe a pattern, maybe a format. I've already said cycle. But I wanted to say more words oh, you wanted to, th- to make this episode longer. You wanted to th- th- thesaurus me. Don't make me throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> now, Bartek, what's a feature film that you chose for us to discuss in this episode? For those who can't read the title. Or understand Polish with an Italian accent. Yeah. The film is Two Hands. <laughs> two Hands? Two Hands. W- when did that come out? 1999. Ah, who's in it? We have Heath Ledger. The Heath Ledger? The Heath Ledger. You're wearing a Joker hoodie. He, I wore it just for him. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite. Heath Ledger's in this. Anyone else of note? Uh, we've got Brian Brown. The guy from Gods of Egypt. The guy from Gods of the Egypt. The god of Gods of Egypt. <laughs> I believe Akko's played by David Field. Yeah, who... I'll get into him, but... Um, and there's a guy from Swift, Swift and Shift Couriers in it. Oh, yeah? I'm surprised you're not saying Rose Byrne. And Rose Byrne. She's been, <laughs> she's been in a lot of stuff. We had her in Annie. The 2014 Annie. She we was did. the social worker lady. We did have her. And I asked the question, why do people love Rose Byrne? And I'll ask that in this episode, too. Well, she was bottom listed on Wikipedia's cast list for some reason. Alphabetical? Rose R, the good first name? I don't know. Well, Heath Ledger was top build, so... Because he's hot. She's hot, too. We can't have two ways. So we're doing the 1999 Australian film Two Hands. This is one of the few Australian films that we've covered on the podcast in general. I would say that we've not covered very many, only, like... The weird stuff in the mystery box are proper ones, and then Kangaroo Jack set in Australia, but I wouldn't say it's Australia, Wolf and then Creek Wolf too. Creek yeah. too. But this is a, a, a real... Ocker Australian classic. <laughs> so if you have not had the chance to watch Two Hands, do so because we're going to talk about Two Hands in depth. We're going to go into all the nuances. We're going to go into history or lack of history. We're going to go into all the stuff that goes on. I uh, recommend checking out Two Hands. Go ahead, come back, listen to our episode after you've watched the film so you can get a deeper understanding of what we're getting into. But if you are not Australian and you're watching Two Hands, this is very Australian. This is very 
a specific type of Australian culture that existed and still exists, but it's slightly different today because this movie's like nearly two, what, two decades old now? Literally. So it's two decades old, So, but uh, still would recommend. Happy if, 20th especially, anniversary. Especially if you're a Heath Ledger fan, you would, you would appreciate this movie. And if you're into real good acting in general, especially someone like Brian Brown, who is a well-known actor over in America too. He's been in a bunch of stuff over there as well. You already said Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt. And let's not forget Cocktail with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise still considers Brian Brown one of the greatest actors he's worked alongside, so I don't know. But uh, okay, two hands. Now, Bartek? Just give us a quick rundown of what Two Hands is about. So Two Hands is a crime story. It is a story of a young man, 19-year-old Jimmy, played by Heath Ledger. Um, he's He's got a sort of acquaintance uh, relationship with this big crime boss guy named Pando. That's right. Um, played by Brian Brown. Played by prayed. Played by Brian Brown. He prayed about it every <laughs> night. He's like, "Can I please play Panda? Can I please play Panda, God?" And God's like, "Yes, Brian." And at the start of the story, they're both basically thinking like, "Ah, oh, yeah, they're the good guys." And Panda gives Jimmy a job to deliver, just a very simple job. Here's ten grand. Take it to this place. You're done. That's it. That's the job. Things go wrong. He fucks it up because Rose Byrne has blonde hair. <laughs> That's the and movie. Nic- and nicotine addiction leads to tragedy. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> uh, the woman inside the flat dies, choking to death because of cancer and heart attacks and bad stuff. And Rose Byrne is somehow in this movie as the girl. <laughs> Bartek, is that all you want to go with the plot of this? I mean, more things happen. More things I will get into, but basic That's summary is. Young idiot loses money, angers crime boss GTA 6 in the works. GTA um, San on Sydney. So This could have been GTA 3. It was between 2 and 3, I think. No, they should have made this GTA 6 now. Mm. And they just call it like the Australian edition, where you have people with like shitty Australian accents. Like they don't get Australian actors. They get like American actors. <laughs> Doing these accents. So We're in like, Australia. We're in Australia, you see. <laughs> Tomatoes are yum-yums. Um, so, we got to beat them in Melbourne. Yeah, I'm in Brisbane right now. <laughs> so, Bartek, you chose this movie. Tell us about your history with this feature film starring Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne, directed by Gregor... Um, Someone. James, <laughs> I think. Um, who made Ned Kelly and some other projects. And the editor of this movie is not only... He, he, he edited uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and that was a fun edited, fact you told he's me. He's edited pretty much every Christopher Nolan movie since The Dark Knight. So there was a connection from the previous film, not just the fact that Dark Knight Rises obviously is a part of the Chris Nolan thing and that had Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, but this movie also had the same editor. The editing was better than this. <laughs> it, it wasn't it was. in, incompetent. Yes. So Bartek, history. I'm, yes, so in 2010, I was in year 11, and I did unit one and unit two media. Basically just year 11 media in Victoria, the state that we live in. Um, and in this class, I've, I think I might have mentioned it a few times, either on the podcast or just to you, Ryan, that we, we studied vampire films for a bit there. But then... Yeah, Blade. We met, we watched a scene from Blade and talked briefly about it, but I haven't seen Blade fully. Um, and then for some reason, I, I, maybe this was after the vampire stuff, we watched the film Two Hands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this isn't a vampire movie. It's not a vampire film, no. There is a sort of undeadish character in... Well, we'll no, get into we'll that. We'll get into it, because that's something I forgot. 
Um, it's, the, it's the beginning of the film. I wish I could forget. <laughs> um, yeah, we studied this film for a bit, and I guess we did assignments on it, but I can't remember what the assignments were. I just remember watching it and thinking, oh, that was a good film. And whenever you and I talk about Australian stuff, this was like the one thing I had over you. They're like, oh, I've seen Two Hands and you hadn't. So that's the main reason why I picked it. And also I wanted to revisit it after, you know, nine years. Did you like it when you first viewed it? Do you remember enjoying the film? I remember enjoying the film. There was also that whole layer of I'm watching it in my old boy's school class. So we, you know, had a big group laugh about it. So I was like, oh, yeah, it was funny too. It was actually funny. It like, was funny. I was just waiting for you to be like, yeah, they were laughing about how bad it was or something, but it is an actually funny movie. Yeah, it was funny. Um, and re-watching it again last night, just on my own, after nine years, I still really enjoyed it. Interesting. So, you just mentioned my history. I hadn't seen this movie before doing it for this. You've mentioned it over the years, and you really sold it as, you know, you know that Heath Ledger movie that everybody knows and loves two hands and i'm like i don't know it and i don't love it what, what is it and you're like and you're like it's a movie about heath ledger and he's like owes money and i'm like oh that sounds like a classic <laughs> and it was like sold to me as like it's this in my brain is like it's that big heath ledger movie and i'm like i don't i'm just gonna break everyone's heart people i'm not a huge heath ledger fan like yeah, dark knight He's a great act. He was a great actor. I'm not uh, shortchanging him, but for me, I just didn't really care for. He never really blew me away as much. Like I like Knight's Tale because that's a silly, fun little weird movie. But Ned Kelly and Ten Things I Hate About You. Like he was a versatile actor. He was a pretty boy actor that kind of got shoved into a box, and then once he started to get out of that box, he unfortunately did pass away, mm. and we didn't get to see his full potential, which is the downside. But for me. I never got truly like, oh, Heath Ledger, one of the greatest actors that we, we never got to see. I'm like, oh, he, he could have been one of the greatest, but I don't know. Like, he just never has thrilled me. But yet again, I haven't seen most of his films. I've only seen, like, the iconic ones, I guess. And I guess this is now one of the iconic ones I have yeah. seen. I've seen very few of them, so I'm struggling to think that I was talking this film up about it being, like, the big Heath Ledger film. But I think it is his, like, breakthrough, Breakthrough, right? at least for Australian cinema. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, so I saw this film last night, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, I God. have some complaints, mm -hmm. obviously. It's not perfect. No, definitely not. It's weird for no reason. I've, yeah, that was There's that a ghost me. character that we'll get into that we mentioned already, but boy, oh boy, does it not work. God, I forgot about that. And do, so does the movie. <laughs> does. <laughs> um, This movie... This is the thing that I... I had a barrier between me and this movie, though, and this is the barrier. Bartek is the barrier, because while I was watching it, I was thinking to myself how I've shown Bartek Australian media in the past. A film that came to mind a lot while watching this was an Australian movie with Ben Mendelsohn, Idiot Box. Mm -hmm, which you showed me. Which I would recommend. And a few other things. And Bartek, you, like, you, you liked Idiot Box, but you didn't seem too buzzed by it. And I've shown you other Australian things, and like Ocker Australian things, where Ocker Australian is a very specific type of Australian. There was that one sketch where I was like, oh, they were speaking English. <laughs> and I watched this 90-minute long, however long movie Two Hands is, and I just kept saying to myself, Bartek likes this. 
But Idiot Box and that sketch of Colin Carpenter and other Australian things that I've mentioned to you, the ones that I know you've seen or ones that I've shown you, you just not blah. You're you're very eh about them. Well, I like so them, I was but watching. Yeah. yeah, but you're very eh. Yeah. But this one for years it's been talked up by you. So I'm watching this movie, going Bartek likes this though, but doesn't care too much for the things that I've shown him that are like this. So that's why my brain was like, there was a barrier there of going, me trying to figure out what is this movie got over other Australian things that Bartek doesn't like? Because here's the thing with you, Bartek. You're a man of two cultures, I would say. You grew up in Australia, mm-hmm. but you still have, a, you, but you speak Polish and you grew up in a Polish household where, you know, you, you did the Polish Catholic thing. You went to your boys' school. You got, you, got, you, got, you got the Polish culture going on. You got the Australian culture going on. And you're kind of like a man between two worlds in my brain. Like, you don't know Polish things. Like, when I ask you, what's this word in Polish, you have to Google it or ask your mum. But then at the same time, you don't you don't know some Australian things. So it's like, okay, I'm trying to figure out. So I'm used to you not liking Australian TV shows or movies. Like, when I say this is famous Australian TV show or movie, you will most likely be like, I don't know that. So when I'm watching this movie... <laughs> I'm infuriated because I'm like, why is this one the one that Bartek's like, now this is the one I like, but something like a, like a Colin Carpenter sketch, you're like, I can't understand a word he says in a three-minute sketch in Ock Australian. It was but the, this guy... It was the first ten seconds this, of that sketch. But this it. movie, it's 90 minutes of everyone speaking like that, and I can just imagine you sitting there going, I understand every word. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why? But... I got over that barrier because I'm like, okay, it is a good movie. It's very funny. It's got that dark Australian comedy sensibility mm-hmm. in which you've got the brutality and the silliness happening at the same time, and they're all very chilled about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw this, and I, I, I didn't really know what the plot was. I just knew he owed money. I kind of knew that Rose Byrne was in it, but I didn't know Brian Brown was in it. And I forgot that aspect because you brought that up when we did Gods of Egypt. Uh, you're like, oh, he's in two hands with Heath Ledger. And I'm like, oh, okay. Did I? Yeah, because I was like, that's Brian Brown. He's a great Australian actor. And you're like, he looks like the guy from two hands. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I went in blind and I like this movie a lot. I still have problems. But overall for an Australian movie, very, very, very good. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I, I enjoyed a great deal of this. I liked a lot of the side characters in this movie. This movie has like a lot of plots going on, but none of them are like huge plots either. Like the main one of him owing money is the main plot, but then you have like the offshoots of the money problem, like the kids' storyline yeah. and and the you know the bank robbing storyline and like Brian Brown and them and like all these different characters and all their interactions. There was going a brief on. one with a carjacker. That was a great. <laughs> vignette um but Bartek so for you coming back to this what was it like yeah it was interesting the things I've, I've, I think I've had this with a lot of things that I've revisited for the podcast there were things I remembered things I forgot um I think I have from memory I thought the plot was more about he he gave the money to the woman but she was dead yeah so they assumed that he killed her that he killed her all they have that for a brief second in the movie but then the guy's like no dude uh, like uh no actually you you know once you're past 30 
oh, you know, you could die of it. A lot yeah, of, smoking like, is like the biggest all killer. Those things. Yeah. That was really funny. Yeah, but then that that memory would overlap with oh wait, but the kids had the money somehow because because they're the ones that took the money. <laughs> yes, yes, and they get to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I could not remember much of Rose Byrne's involvement with the film. She's the drive. <laughs> I remembered that he he meets her like after he gets the money. And then I and then my memory was what what does she do after that? I know she's a love interest and she's in the film, but what happens after that scene? So watching the film again, it was like, oh, now I know what she did. She just turned up again. She turns up again. That's yeah. that's the plot of her. She turns up a lot and cries, <laughs> and and is hot. She's very very beautiful. And she gets twenty dollars from the pe- villain. That was a great scene. We'll get it. We'll have that scene mentioned. But uh, yeah. So f- I really did en- enjoy this. Uh, it starts out very weird. Yeah, the very first thing you see. It starts out very Australian weird. It reminds me of other movies like uh, uh, Dogs in Space. Uh, is that his name? I can't remember. There's that movie with the guys from In Excess where they're just a bunch of dumbasses in a house. But like very artsy Australian stuff where it's like the center of the earth, the core of the earth, and then it's kind of like. Um, little tunnels, kind of like moles have, or yeah. prairie, prairie dogs have, like all these intricate tunnels, and it's like the lava's coming up, and then you see like it eventually pans up, and near the surface of the earth is like a guy digging, like he's dug all these tunnels, and it's like this decayed corpse that's come crawled from the core of the earth or hell. Yeah, and he has a little and, chat with us, and he's dubbed. Like, that's not that actor's voice. That's another actor's voice. Mm. And immediately, I was like, why? And there is no reason why. Because <laughs> I look at the actor who plays the physical guy, and he's in a bunch of stuff, and I heard his voice, and like his voice would have done great, but they dubbed him over with some other guy. So immediately I'm thrown off. I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, I was expecting something more grounded. I was expecting something like Idiot Box or Getting Square or other Australian crime suburbia comedy dramas As someone but immediately seen the film, the it same. starts out like oh there's ghosts and zombies and and like demons and i'm like the supernatural exists i'm like oh okay and then it doesn't play into much but then it does too much play into things to the point in which you go right you can't write this off as it's just a storytelling mechanism. It's a part of the plot. Like, he physically affects the world that he's yeah, in. He he manages to get the villain to sabotage his gun, and he manages to say... We find out this character is the dead brother of the main character. Well, we find that out at the very beginning. He, he introduces himself as that. I thought it was actually Heath Ledger in makeup at first, but then I realised it wasn't. He, mm. They did a good job casting, that means. Because um, I was like, hey, he, he could be his older brother. But, uh... This movie, that is... Let's just talk about the negative first. That ghost, brother. <laughs> does not affect the plot, but he does too much. Like, he affects it by stopping the villain having a gun. He does it by waking up Heath Ledger at a certain point in the movie by touching him. He kind of warns characters of things, in, but not... With, but but kind of not like it's so like he gives infuriating because you know that this exists he like in... influences characters intuitions i guess yes he does and it's so annoying because this exists so that the writers can write something for themselves this exists so that it can come across as an artsy movie yeah instead of coming across as just your normal suburban nightmare crime movie because australia has a real big problem when it comes to movies we can only make five movies, and they're all the same movies. So we can do something like Mad Max every now and then. Your 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 
your dystopian road warrior nightmare world. We can do just your larrikin comedy where people drink beers and say things in loud tones. We have an occasional sci-fi movie that's shot here, but not really an Australian movie like, like Pitch Black or Matrix. We will do a musical once in a year, like once every decade, like, uh, or something or other. Or we do those quirky movies like Muriel's Wedding or The Castle, like those quirky comedy mm. movies with some tinge of sadness. Or we do It's So Tough Living in the Suburbs of a City and We Have to Resort to Crime. Like, those are the, like, this few movies we can make. Yes, and this was a musical, right? I wish. <laughs> I wish this was Brand New Day with Jeffrey Rush, but it isn't. This is Idiot Box. This is Gidden Square. This is this is like a bunch of those. This is um, Death in Brunswick. This is like a bunch of these Australian, isn't it tough to be lower middle class or lower class or even sometimes upper class in the suburbs and you resort to crime or you resort to drugs or you resort to just doing dickish things for fun. And it could just have been that, but it wanted to be arty. With this dead brother character who Heath Ledger doesn't even really mention at all in the movie, except for when it saves, like when the villains start talking about, like, oh yeah, we killed his brother here and it saves Heath Ledger. But Heath Ledger isn't, like, driven by his brother or he doesn't. Not at all. You could remove the brother's existence and just have it as a line of dialogue and that's it. But, like, they shove in this brother character with a dubbed voice and he's there for the writers purpose only and as i said with the dark knight rises i hate sometimes in movies when a writer is just sticking his face out in front of the movie and going hey it's me maybe maybe in the original draft of the film it was like that and the brother was only mentioned that line but then the people were like oh shit we need to somehow establish that there's a dead brother this way to do it or they they were like uh, this we want this actor in the movie, but I don't know how to put him in there. Make him a ghost. And I don't like his voice. I hate his voice, so <laughs> we want this guy's voice. It is the weakest part, right? It's so forgettable. The film forgets about the ghost brother, and then he comes back, and you're like, oh, he's back again. And then, and after- he only is back to drive the plot into a direction you don't think it will go into. Yeah, and then the last thing he does is say, I'm leaving now, basically. He wakes him up on a train and says, I've done my job, I'm leaving now. That's the last thing I have to and do. And then you still have, like, another 30 minutes of the movie. And it's like he leaves at the wrong point in mm. the movie. It's like he feels <laughs> like he should leave later in the movie, but he's there, and he's... Or close out the film, yeah. Or close out the film, or at least make it so it's like the third act, start of the third act, like, now you're on your own. But, like, I guess it maybe is, but it feels like it isn't. I don't know. It's a it's a weird choice that didn't work in this movie's favour. Mm. One of the weird choices that didn't work. There's one or two others that work, though, weird choices. Like, uh, start the movie out showing uh, what happens later in the movie as, at the beginning of Heath Ledger's going to get murdered. Yeah. And then you cut back to how we get up to that point, right? That mm-hmm. was a good choice. That one worked. It added suspense, added tension. It added comedy because you have all these lines like, yeah, I won't fuck up. And you're like, yeah, you will. And they had like, yeah, very cordial phone calls during this tense scene. Yeah, exactly, right? And it's, uh, it's a great way to set up the premise of what's going to happen because it could have just been a straightforward. It could have just opened up on him at King's Cross standing outside of a strip club being like, yeah, Panda, you're a good guy. But we know he ain't a good guy already because we see him at the point. We know there's going to be naughtiness. Gonna be, and it's Brian Brown. He's <laughs> never a good guy. He's always a naughty man. 
Um, so yeah, it was great. Um, I enjoyed all the characters except for Heath Ledger, though. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, he was. Um, he didn't look nineteen, did he? He might have been. He might have been, but, but he I didn't think... look it though, with all the tattoos and <laughs> scars and shit. I guess he. Al- and he also looked like a twenty-five-year-old man. He looked a little bit like our old friend that's almost twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. It it was an odd thing about him, like. He did a great performance. Mm. I think we can both agree on that. Definitely, yeah. My big problem with Heath Ledger in this movie, his character, is he's dumb, but not dumb enough. He's too competent, but he's too dumb at the same time. Do you know what I mean by this? Mm. Like, he makes a really dumb decision that makes the movie happen, but his character seems too level-headed and competent to have made that decision in the first place, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Like, he makes a decision to bury ten grand in this in the beach so that he could go see if this woman with blonde hair is Rose Byrne. Yeah. And that yeah. decision is so stupid, it doesn't match how his character is. Like, He's able exists. to get out of situations effectively, but he gets into them weirdly, yeah. Yeah, but that one especially. Yeah. Like, the other ones you understand, but, like, that one, it's so dumb that it doesn't work. Like, like and that's the setup of the movie. That's the clincher of the movie. Mm. I wish he lost the money in a different way, but he lost it in that way, and it's this annoying dissonance for me, where I guess go, you're too dumb, but at the same time, you're not dumb enough. Like, if he was more of a dropkick, a dreg, uh, if he was more of a loser... But in this movie, everyone likes him. Yeah. He's on the up and up. He's handsome. He's fit. Yeah, his brother died, but it seems like his brother was more of a degenerate than he was. So, I don't, like, you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like Rose Byrne is so unobtainable for him that he needs to rush to see at the beach. Like, he's a handsome dude. Like, if he was a, a bit more of a down-on-his-luck loser with less physical attraction, I could see that action happening. But in this, it's handsome old Heath Ledger being an idiot because the movie needs him to be so that the movie can happen. And he's never that idiotic again. Other people are idiots. Yeah, that's true. But he is never that idiotic again. He does idiotic things like go to the pub to meet her. But that didn't feel as idiotic as I've literally just got to do one thing, which is give 10 grand and wait. And no, Rose Byrne's here. And Rose Byrne's hot. I could see you making the argument, oh, but she's so pretty. Wouldn't you do it? No. <laughs> Brian Brown's, like, a scary guy. He's already met her to, and on that day and has got a phone number. You can just exactly. call her. Exactly. <laughs> just call her. I don't know. He's was... not going to be judged by her for missing her at the beach. <laughs> and it clearly wasn't her. <laughs> that was the biggest problem. Like, immediately it wasn't her. I knew immediately it wasn't her. She wasn't planning to go to the beach. Because she was Indian as well, the woman. or, or She wasn't even a white lady when you saw her in the water. So it was like even more of a dissonance. But other than Heath Ledger sucking, as an, like not the actor, but like the character, like that aspect of it. Yeah. I enjoyed everyone else. I loved Rose Byrne in this, actually. <laughs> I did. I, I genuinely liked her in this. And I'm not a guy who... She on paper, and with my track record, she would be a character I wouldn't necessarily like. She's that kind of... 
you know, oh, I'm this feminine character that doesn't even have really any agency, and I like taking photos, and I'm artsy, and I like kind of mirroring what the main character's problems are by showing them, but I actually liked her. I think it was her performance. I, I genuinely was like, I like this person. I I want to hang out with Rose Byrne's character. Yeah, I she was very pleasant. She was nice, sweet. I liked how um how embarrassed she would get about her own physical appearance and stuff. Like, there's this bit where she's like, gets her photo taken. That's the best scene in the movie, right? When when they're interacting at the beginning and they're taking mm. each other's photos. That one was definitely one of the scenes I really remembered. It's really great. But then I like when she's showing him the photos and then she goes, oh, and there's one of me. <laughs> and it's like kind of quickly throws, like puts it away. And he's like, no, 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 let me see that. I really like that about her. Mm. She's kind of like really embarrassed about herself as a person, but not to a point where it's like, oh, woe is me. Yeah. About it. Bartek, who is your favourite character in this? I think throughout the the nine years since I've seen the film, Akko was the one I really remembered. It is Akko, isn't it? I thought it was Akko for some reason. It's Akko. Akko was fucking brilliant. I thought, no, I think it is Akko. Akko. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you said Akko. Did I? Yeah, Akko. No, it's Akko. Akko is fucking brilliant. <laughs> he was nearly my favourite character. I think Brian Brown tops him for I me. Think, I think this time Brian Brown did top it a little bit for the me. Orga- Ak- the origami scene alone. <laughs> but Akko was definitely the character I remember the most. Yeah. So what about him? Who is he in this movie? And what is his role? So Akko is basically the number two of this crime group of four people, I think it was. Yeah. Um, And he's the he's the most aggressive one. Um, it's probably the smartest one too. Yeah, well, his choice of bullet was interesting, but <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's the aggressive one. He's the one that lends Heath Ledger his car, not by his choice. <laughs> that was amazingly petty. <laughs> Where Brian Brown's like, "Let him use your car." It's like, "No, he's got a new gearbox, and it fucking works." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, yeah, I his, can't argue with that." His car is the car of the film. Like every time you see the it dark was the car, director's turn up, car. It was the director's car. <laughs> Um, yeah, it turns up and you're like, oh no, Akko's here. And it, and it gets carjacked at one point and it leads to some funny stuff. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I just remember when we watched it in our year nine, uh, sorry, year 11 class, um, we just loved how often he swore. <laughs> that was something I also got perplexed by. So you watched this whole film? The whole film. That's so surprising to me that your school... Which in the past, whenever I've heard it, seems pretty conservative. It's a Catholic old boys school. Let you watch this movie, which every second or third word is the F-bomb or the C-word. Yeah. And there's extreme violence. People die brutally. A child dies in this movie. And it's not played, like, it's played dramatically. It's not played for, like, ha-ha, like... Mm. It's like, this kid just got fucking murdered... In cold blood, like accidental, but still in cold blood when what happens after. But like, in your school's like, yeah, Bartek, you're not allowed to grow facial hair, but you're allowed to watch a movie that says the word cunt 50 times in a row. When I was watching this, I was sitting there going, his school let him watch this? When I was watching the film last time, I'm like, our school let me watch this? It's so (laughs) weird. Yeah, Akko, he was great. I love that actor. And I was like, I know this guy. I looked him up and he's been consistently in Australian things, but nothing that I could point to and go, that's the role that I know him for. The two things I know are this and he's in some commercials for, I think, Oaks. Oh, that's what I know him for. I didn't look up his uh, his 
commercial stuff. I just looked up his IMDb. That's what he's known for. We have this the the, the, the chocolate milk, right? Yeah, the Oaks. Kill and hungry, thirsty, dead. That's him. Okay, so there's yeah the, the famous Australian I, ad yeah. where he's just like some scary dude walking towards you, and he's in just talk in the night with intense eyes, and he's talking about how he's hungry and thirsty, and you need to kill your hungry thirsty by drinking Oaks chocolate chocolate milk because it kills hungry thirsty dead. And it's so intense that it's hilarious. And what makes it funny, too, is he has this dirty old white shirt and his pants are, like, up to his nipples. And he's just, like, stalking at you through the night with these intense eyes, playing it like his Akko from, from this movie. Mm. He's like, you gotta kill hungry, thirsty, dead. That's who he is. That's what I know him from. I look at his IMDb. Maybe that's why I remember him. Yeah. And I was just like, who is this guy? I've seen him in a few things, but nothing memorable. But that ad is it. And I'm like, okay, now thanks, Bartek. You've answered it. It's If you haven't seen that ad, we'll link it on the page on our social medias. It's a great ad. Um, it is an iconic Australian ad. It's right up there with some other ones like, don't kill the dinosaurs, daddy. Or... or um, uh, why did they build the Great Wall of China to keep the rabbits out? Like all these iconic ads, that's one of them. Come hungry, thirsty, dead. I loved him, but let's talk about the real OG, Brian Brown. Brian Brown. Pando. Brian Pando. Brian Brown is an acclaimed Australian actor. He's just a character actor. We all love Brian Brown. He's been in a bunch of American things. He's been in a bunch of Australian things. He's just one of those guys that when you see him, you go, oh, it's that guy. And as soon as he turned up in this movie wearing that ugly ass shirt, he's like got so many ugly clothes in this movie. His clothes are terrible, but I love them. He's always in shorts for the most part. A lot of people in short shorts in this. Yeah, well, the film set, seems to be set in like summer. Or it's set on the period. hottest day ever or whatever. It's like falling down. Yeah. Uh, and Brian Brown as Pando, amazing. He makes the movie because he is never playing it like intense. He's always playing it like he is just this guy who's just doing the minimum. Like, like, look, Heath, we've got to kill you. You know, I trusted a guy one time. He went to the cops. Thank God it was a cop that worked for us. But like, you know, it was a close, close thing. And I'm not going to get burned again. Like, he just plays it like... <laughs> Uh, like, uh, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, it's tough being on the top, right? Mm. But then he's also like, I'm a family guy. I'm a family man, you know? Like, I love my family. Like, I love that aspect of his character. It reminded me of Casper a bit from Miller's Crossing, where he's talking to his son. Yeah, but he actually loves his family. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, Casper very in Miller's Crossing doesn't like his anyone. <laughs> but this guy, Pando, he's like doing origami and with his kid which is an amazing making scene. a pterodactyl yeah which it, i love how <laughs> on purposely ocker he goes with that too that's a nice pterodactyl you got there <laughs> oh lovely pterodactyl why is he saying it like that and the guy on tv says like dog and it's like oh dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah in japanese though right he says it in japanese and then they, he goes oh dog and then it cuts to a picture of a dog being from rose Byrne, and she's like great transition yeah so many great shots. But yeah, Brian Brown, he's the heart of this movie. Because the best thing is everyone's like, that Pando, though, he's a psycho. He's a murderous asshole. But he's really not. Like, yes, he is. But he never yeah. plays it like... He's not playing it like Begby from Train Spotting. He's not playing it like this scary motherfucker. He's playing it just like a guy. Yeah, and the recurring line of the film is the main character who is being targeted by Pando keeps saying, Pando's a good guy, though. <laughs> He's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. No, he isn't. But, you know, he's a good bloke. Yeah. And he is. I kind of feel bad for him at the end. 
I was like, no, Panda, he didn't do nothing wrong. <laughs> like, if it was if it was Akka, then fine. But, like, Panda, he was all right. Mm. Poor Wally. <laughs> no, fuck Wally. He deserves to die. He, he, he let the kid's body be moved and didn't do nothing. Mm. But Pando, the heart of this film, he's just funny as shit. Like, he gets kicked in the testicles at one point, And then, at the end of the movie, he commends Heath Ledger for kicking him in the <laughs> testicles real good. He's like, yeah, you scrambled him up, but, like, a good kick. And he's, like, patting him on the back. And he's like, you're a good guy. It's amazingly Australian. Yeah. This movie is very, very Australian. It has this Australian humor where it's like silliness, but it's played dead straight. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. Like so many great lines of dialogue are in this movie. Like I love the whole scene in which uh, a bank robber, uh, where Heath Ledger and a bank robber guy are mourning the death of another bank robber who got killed. And it's like, okay. And he's given this whole spiel and he prefaced it by saying a moment of silence. Yeah. And then he proceeds to talk a bunch of shit. Moment of silence followed by a eulogy. And then moment of silence and then a shotgun goes off because his kid's an idiot. I just love that kind of humor. Like, I was just smiling from ear to ear at these side characters. Like, like, like that bank robber guy. I liked Arco. I liked uh, the carjacker. Can we talk about the carjacker? Mm-hmm. The big pre- the big thing about this movie was I was waiting for that car to get destroyed. I was waiting for like if you ding my car, he didn't even he never did. It, it was set up, yeah. But it never happened. It was instead Heath Ledger's a dumbass after he gets his money stolen from him from some children, some local gangland who thought children. to dig up in the sand, yeah. Because uh, they were watching him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a dumbass. Um, he's like, I'll park the car in this little side alley street, and it won't get broken into. Even though he says it's easy to break, it's easy as shit to break into cars like these. Mm. Um, I remember he's like the preface that ah no, it'll be it's not it won't be that easy. It's got a it's got a wheel, like it's got a steering wheel. I was like, how Heath Ledger tried to sum it up, like yeah, we put a thingy on the wheel, they won't get it. The guy just cuts in half. <laughs> So let's talk about this guy, Bartek. How good is this carjacker guy who's in, like, three scenes? Yeah, he steals the car, he goes to the mechanic, and then it cuts away, then it cuts back to the mechanic. And Oh, oh well, the I'm... mechanics have told the other mechanics that it's the guy's car, and they're like, okay. Yeah, the mechanics are their friends with Akko, and they're like, some dude just turned up with Akko's car. We're going to tell Akko. <laughs> yeah, it's like John Wick. <laughs> it's like, you stole John Wick's car? <laughs> yep. Um, the the mechanic dude is in Swift and Shift. He's the obese guy who gets subtitled the whole time because he's. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not shocked. And uh, of course, Akko shows up to get his car back, and I love this. This movie gets really surreal, and it works at points, and then others like the ghost thing. It doesn't work. Akko's there, and they just grab the guy, and then it hard cuts to like a car engine tied on some chains in some water. And the guy's being dragged down to the bottom of the sea out of nowhere. <laughs> and it's like, and the guy's screaming to death and it's like horrible that it cuts to some jaunty scene. And I'm like, what? There goes the carjacker. <laughs> That's resolved. And he gets his car back and they use it as a threat throughout the rest of the movie. Like, ooh, it's his car. When I thought they were going to set up like he fucked up his car. And he's like, oh, but instead it's like, no, he gets his car back real quick. Because these guys are connected, even though there's, like, and when there's they do, four gangsters. And when they do, you know, catch uh, Jimmy, they ask for the keys back and they just gives it to them. Yeah, which is nice of him. <laughs> yeah. Which is really nice of him. I it love it that. means that he brought it to the pub and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
what do you want to talk about with this movie? There's a lot of Australianness to it. Mm. You've not been you 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 you've been you've been to Sydney, right? I've passed through it on a night where my dad was driving us up to I think Queensland, but I haven't really mm. can't really say I've been there. This is very Sydney movie. It's obviously shot there. A lot of Sydney is there. Like it's Sydney and Melbourne environments are very different. Mm. Sydney, they're a lot more chilled. It seems like in every movie, it's all like these Australian ones, like they're a lot more like Darrow and chilled, while the Melbourne ones are a bit more organized and terrifying. But in these movies, Australian Sydney thugs are just like pterodactyl, like a pterodactyl. <laughs> I've got a kid, and like, oh, let's take him over silence. Like, there's an auto code that's really dumb. <laughs> but in like some like uh, underbelly, like they're, they're, they're legit scary criminals that will hurt you in Melbourne. But the Sydney ones seem like they could just be your mates, like, unless, could, unless you steal Echo's car. Uh, right, but even then, he's okay with him at the end of the movie. When Heath Ledger gives them the money, he's all fine with them. He's actually like, hey, you want a job? Like, they, all of them are fine with Heath Ledger at the end of this movie. Mm. Well, he didn't steal the car. Well, no, he no. He just abandoned it. He just abandoned it. But, but he has no problem <laughs> with them. He's like, okay, you know what? You're fine in my book. So even that is like, ah, yeah. you look, you fucked us over. We could still kill you. But they're like, you know what? You're still on the gang. <laughs> you, you proved yourself. We've mentioned the bank robbery scene. That has a funny turn to it. So basically, Heath Ledger has to get the 10 grand, and of course, he has to rob a bank to do so. Yes, he wants to return 10 grand to Pando, because, you know, that's what he that's what he made him lose. So <laughs> exactly. he's got to balance it out. Yeah, he's got to balance it out. And Yeah, um, yeah and he has... um. Wasn't his sister... No, he was a friend. a friend. A friend. A very very motherly kind of friend that really looks after well, him. Well, she is a mother. She's got, yeah. like, kids everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's the one... She's the one that he turns to when he's in this deep shit trouble. And uh, she has, I guess, two other friends? Or were they her brother or something? Husband. The husband, right. Husband and a friend. Husband and a friend um, who have robbed banks before and they're very blasé about, like, oh, yeah, it's fun. You just do this, you do that. Yeah, all these horrible... It's like that scene <laughs> in Reservoir Dogs where Mr. White is explaining what you do when you rob a bank. You hit this guy, you threaten to break their... Like, chop off their finger, like, break their thumb, and they're saying it's so casual. And then in Reservoir Dogs, it ends with, mm, I'm hungry, let's go get some burgers, right? It's exactly... <laughs> same scene but very Australianized. Yeah, just before the bank robbery starts and they're like getting ready to put on their mask, he just says, Look, just try to have some fun with this, right? What happens if cops come? <laughs> it's like, oh, you shoot them. Shoot them. Well, they shoot you. Yeah. I mean, that was something very unique about watching this in a modern context. This mm. is only a little bit after guns were banned in Australia. So yeah, that's true. it's weird to see movies where like everybody knows how to shoot guns. So, like, everyone knows how to shoot guns and like. Guns are so easy to access. Well, now, even in Australian crime stuff, guns are less, like, just blasé. Like, it's a big deal to get a gun mm. in Australian crime things now. Yeah. Like, even in the film Idiot Box that we've talked about with Ben Mendelsohn, it was a big deal for them to get guns. That yeah, was so... also after Port Arthur, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. like, uh, like 2002 movie or something like that. Uh, and that's a big deal for them to get guns. But in this, it's kind of like, it's just in that period where guns are still around. So it's like everyone has them still. Mm. So that was a unique aspect of this that I was uh, uh, found intriguing to watch. I was like, oh yeah. And then I think in America, it's still like that. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. I think America still has some guns. Do they? Yeah. 
Um, FYI, we're recording this. We don't know if there's been another mass shooting, so if there has by the time this episode comes out, which there most likely would have been, sorry if this is insensitive. <laughs> America, you got to fix your gun problems, mate. We're sitting here in a little um, rubber donut in a pond where the Prime Minister of Australia... <laughs> what was his name again? I can't remember, but there was like, they went through several different people in that episode, Simpsons. But so, yeah, the bank robbery goes funny. Let's go through this. Yep, so basically after the pep talk, you know, they get in there, they, they aim the guns, people are kind of not reacting, or because they're a bit in shock, they have to shoot some guns. There's one guy who's just not having it. No. He's, just, yeah, yeah, he's the guy down, that mate. we've been introduced to earlier in the movie as well. Oh, so he's the guy that shoots the guy photo that, of? No, he's the guy that supplies the child with a gun. So there's a subplot right. in this movie where uh, uh, we'll get into the kids, but one of the kids get killed and the other one decides to get revenge and buy a gun and they draw on a hundred dollar note. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A guy and they give it to that's that. That's right. Guy. That's right. That's and that's how Heath Ledger got the note. Exactly. Right. So, yes. Um. Yeah, and then it comes back at the end, but we'll get in the kids' storyline. But yeah, so there, there is that one guy and Heath's been instructed like you just hit him with your gun yeah. if they don't <laughs> listen to you. But then the real big funny twist is, you know, what the other guy, the th- you know, the three bank robbers, there's a, there's a the driver. driver, Heath Ledger, who's like in charge of making sure all the people crowd are crowd control, and then there's the guy that's like interacting with the tellers and the safe in the back. So he's got two bags of cash in his hands and a gun and a gun. He tries to jump over the counter, but the tip of his foot catches the edge <laughs> of the counter, tips him over. He lands on his head and he's just knocked out. And then you get like a five minute sequence of Heath Ledger doing his just Charlie Chaplin. Incredibly quiet sequence of Heath Ledger just like trying aiming the gun, up. looking at him, trying to balance his role and dealing with this guy. And then trying to drag him and the money and carrying a shotgun all at the same time and then can't do it. Trying to get the other guys in the car's attention by knocking on the window. <laughs> that was great. And the guy's like sitting there without his balaclava on the car and he's just standing there with everyone seeing him being like, what? What is it? What's wrong? He's like, come in here. Yeah. Oh, this so is how it went in the Dark Knight, right? Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure. And then a bus came. Yeah, no, I, I loved this sequence and it showed to me a side that I wasn't as familiar with Heath Ledger. Which was, and I, I on a level I should be, the, like, Night's Tale was pretty funny, but, um, and obviously Joker, but it showed a side that I'm not as familiar with, was, was his comedic side. Heath Ledger does, has great physical comedic timing, as well as line delivery. Like, I thought his physical comedy in this, of that scene where the guy's unconscious, was really well done, and the timing of it was perfect. Like, just mm. long enough, and just silly enough, but not too silly. I agree. And I was like, wow, okay, that was something I didn't really know, think about with Heath Ledger. You don't think of him, even though he played the Joker, you don't think of him as a comedy guy that could do, or someone who could do comedy. And I found myself very impressed with Heath Ledger's comedic timing in this movie. And he's not cracking jokes, it's just expressions or choices he makes or physicality and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that scene was a beautiful... I completely forgot about the whole bank subplot. In my head, like, remembering when I first watched it, I thought after he loses the money, he's just, like, on the run the whole time. Yes. Going place to place. But no, I've completely forgot. But then all the things happened, like, when the gun got shot off um, with the kid in the the room. 
um, him tripping over and then the people on the radio finding them. All of that just came back. I'm like, oh, of course. This was a really, really fun movie that had a lot of nuances to it. A lot of setups. Great direction. Mm. I thought the direction was beautiful. Even with the Ghost Brother stuff, I thought visually they still did it in an interesting fashion mm. with the Ghost Brother, even though I didn't enjoy that aspect of it. I thought from a visual standpoint, this movie was stylish. I thought the editing was really good, unlike what he did in The Dark Knight Rises. I think a, a small Australian movie, the editor did a better job than he does in a multi-million dollar Hollywood movie. Isn't that interesting? Mm. With like triple the runtime. Like, you know, I just find that so fascinating. Like, the best scene for me, on a purely directional standpoint, the one that gave me the most tension, and I think, you know, if you live in Australia or you catch public transport, you know uh, this tension, I think which I is being this. in a train station that's lit by fluorescent lights alone at night. Yeah, that scene. <laughs> that sequence, once they get off that Cadbury monorail, <laughs> the monorail covered in Cadbury logo, the <laughs> chocolate company... I just kept calling it the Cadbury, the Cadbury monorail. <laughs> um, him and Rose Byrne and them going down these stairs and like, it's so like, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Like, you know, it's a real train station and whatnot, but like, it's so perfect. Like you have the faded kind of graffiti and you have the faded paint that's chipped off on the, on the graveled ground of like, don't stand here and all of that. And the fluorescent lighting. And it really works too, because Rose Byrne's blonde in this. And she's obviously a peroxide blonde with a dark root showing through. And this fluorescent light on her hair in particular makes the scene even more kind of like, ooh, this is off, you know? Because mm. the rest of the time we see her in sunlight and her hair's looking really like, it's still fake peroxide blonde, but like it's looking like more natural and nice. But you put it under this eerie fluorescent and you have the camera like, like it's like they just fucking hurl the camera at Heath Ledger at times just to emphasize like the paranoia. Yeah, and there are a lot of shots of just nothing, and you think like, oh, is this the shot where like Akko's gonna turn up or something? And then when he does, it's amazingly, <laughs> and it was a shocking, but it wasn't like a jump scare. It wasn't yeah. like, oh my god, it was. It was just like, whoa. They okay. didn't put any sound effects. He just turned up and he punched. And it was amazing. I thought that was pure. That's the that's the scene you show people from this movie mm. to show them like this is top tier stuff like there's goofy scenes and, and all that and even when the scene keeps going when brian brown comes up to her and she's crying and rose Byrne is acting her fucking ass off in this movie and she didn't need to <laughs> yeah. she could have played this much less uh sub she could have been more subdued but she did it and she played 110 percent brian brown comes up to her and he's intimidating but he's still being true to who he is. He's just a good guy. He's being very understanding of her position. But he's still being threatening. Yeah. He's like, here, take you got you, you got, got to piss off now. Yeah. He's like, have you got a way to get home? Do you have money? I could give you some money to take a cab. And then when he says, like, this cab's up there. You better go take one. It's so threatening. But when you think of it from an acting standpoint, he's not delivering it in necessarily a over-the-top threatening way where Brian Brown could easily do that. We've seen, like, if you know Brian Brown, he drips menace sometimes. But in this, he's just playing it so, like, you know, there's a cap up there. Like, you could just interpret it as, like, he's just telling her where to go. Yeah. He's not threatening her physically, but he kind of is. Yeah. And you feel so sorry for her. Like, she, she's just watching Heath Ledger get dragged away knowing he's going to die and she can't do anything because she's just a woman who doesn't even live here. That's the thing I it's love. It's like her, her first day there, It's right? like her first 
first fucking day. <laughs> this is her first day here. First night, even. Yeah. First, well, second night, I guess, because we meet her at night. Oh, that's true, yes. This is her second night here. Second night after the first daytime. Yeah. <sighs> that was an amazing sequence. I, I was, my jaw was on the floor with that. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that from this movie. Mm. This movie was silly at points, a lot more than it was dramatic. And then when it was dramatic, it was like, there's a ghost. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't take that seriously. Like, lots of interesting little nuanced touches. Like, a child dies. <laughs> Let's talk about that child and death, shall we, Bartek? Yep. So, I th- I can't remember if they were mentioned in the film, but I believe the children's names were Pete and Helen? Yep. Pete and Helen. So, we're first introduced to Pete, I think. Oh, yes. He's, uh, he's stealing a wallet from someone who's sleeping in an alley. Who I thought would be more important to the plot, that guy, because he comes mm. back in the next scene, to be like, give me my wallet. <laughs> they try to stab him with a needle. Yeah, basically, these two kids, um, they find money however they can. They spend it. They just have a good old time. Um, they get chased a bit by the guy, yeah. but then they run into some cops, and that saves <sighs> them. I love that line where he's like, "Used two are dead. The cops turn around. Nah, not use. Yeah, no, used two are fucking dead. Oh, used two are fucking dead. And then the cops turn around, and he goes, nah, not use. That's so Australian, <laughs> yeah. saying use. You guys are dead. Like, I love that. And I still love in that universe, the cops just kept going there. I'm like, no, 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 no. They would come back to him. This is, yeah, swearing's not illegal. No, but they would come back and be like, what <laughs> yeah. was that? What was that, mate? Especially on the King's Cross area, <laughs> which is like an infamous place in Australia. Like, even if you're not from Sydney, you know about King's Cross. It's like the strip where all the clubs are and strip clubs and Hungry, and, Jacks. and Hungry Jacks and dirty crime going on there. I mean, it's obviously been more gentrified now over time, but still, like, it's renowned as being, like, the crime place right. of Australia, I would say, overall. Like, Melbourne's kind of taken the reins over the last 10 years or so, but, like, King's Cross is the place where dirty shit's going on. It's like our Vegas strip. Um. Yeah, so, and after this... The kids, you know, we see some scenes of them, but they really come back during that beach scene where the money is buried and they steal it. And then they spend it on candy. And the money is 10 grand, so that, and they spend it on money, on clothes, and they just hand out $100 bills to the guy that was chasing them. Yeah. He was, like, used to a fucking They draw dead. all over the money. They spend... Did they draw? I thought the guy that works for Pando did the drawing. No, the kids the kids drew the the gunshot on the money and then Pando's guy got that money. No, but didn't he no, he drew on the money and then later in the film when he sees the drawing he's like, I got the note I drew on the Oh, okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm yeah. just being blind and That was one forgetting. thing I also remember about the film. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Foreshadowing paying off. Okay. Well the bookend, yeah. Book ending. Um He well, gets his note back. Well, he gets his head blown off. Yeah. As well. So that's why it's Very foreshadowing. Poignant. Yeah, um, foreshadowing his demise as well as Pando's demise, and everyone gets shot in the head. And yeah, and yeah. Uh, and after a few scenes of these two kids just you know hanging out, uh, spending money, I thought they were good actors too for kids. I thought they, they were. were. I thought she was very good. Yeah, one of them, the, the guy Pete, turned to Helen and was just talking, walking backwards a little bit, and Akko runs into him. It was shocking. I was like, whoa, and it looked really good for like a cheap Australian movie. That kid getting hit by the car. Mm. was amazing but you know what made it even better Akko's reaction yeah. of looking at the broken light and being like 
he comes out of the car and obviously walks to the front of it and you're thinking that he's going to check on the body. But he, like, squats down, looks at the light and... And he's like, oh. And then he just casually moves the body. It doesn't say anything, just moves it. Yeah, and the guy that did draw on the money, was it Wally? Yeah, yeah, Wally. Yeah, Wally's a bit shocked by it and he, like, looks at the girl with uh, a bit of... And they just look at each other, but he doesn't do anything, so fuck Wally. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck him. Yeah. He's still a piece of shit. He deserves to die in the end still from her. She's the one he looks at. Yeah, and the and this incident obviously breaks her. And then she's like, I gotta get a gun. And we don't see her for a while at that point. She goes to get the gun from the guy and gives him that $100 note that's been drawn on, and then he goes to the bank, and then it comes back into the hands of the criminals at the end. But she gets a gun. We don't see her for a while, then we see her just shooting with the gun, and then she comes back at the end. Did we see her shooting with the gun? Yeah, in a warehouse. We it's intercut with they're gonna shoot uh, Heath Ledger in the in the field or the swamps or wherever it was. Okay. It intercuts with her and the ghost brother. The ghost brother's standing offside, and then it cuts to her, and she's shooting as the gun's not working for them. Mm. So we established that she's practicing how to shoot at least. So that's good, but we don't see her for a while until very much the end. And this is when my complaint comes in again, Bartek. At the end of this movie, Heath Ledger sorts out the crime mob. He gives them the money, and he stands up to them, and he makes a decision not to be a part of the system. They killed his brother, after all. They're still dumb and perplexed. They don't understand why he would stand them up like that, but okay. They're counting the money, and the guy has the $100, and Heath Ledger's walking out, and he walks past the girl. Yeah. And he looks at her, and she looks at him, and they give each other this long, acknowledging look. Him's more so. She's more on a mission. Yeah. And he hears the gunshots and he just keeps walking like, yeah. He never met her before, though. No, he hadn't. So that was my complaint. Like, I'm a bit confused. Like, it's feeling like he knows what she's about. But okay, he doesn't. I didn't really get that feeling that he knows what, what did you about. get from that that then like he looks at her like this look of acknowledgement like, oh, I know what you're going to go up there for. I thought he gave it just kind of like a blank look, like he was still recovering from what he just went through. But then when he hears the gunshots... Did he hear the gunshots? Yeah, he's literally walking. You hear you see know, a I shot know of him and I you know hear I know distinctly a... gunshots and it's done in a way where you're on the outside of the building hearing gunshots. He just keeps walking and he's just like, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought that was just a sound effect that carried over. No, I, I took shot. it I took it as that. Like I, I took it as he looked at her with an, acknowledge, an acknowledging look. And I think maybe the movie's trying to do this where at the end when she murders these people, it zooms in on her eyes and she has the fiery eyes like his brother. Mm. Maybe you could argue on the artsy-fartsy thing, he recognizes that look of vengeance kind of thing. Oh, like it's my brother. <laughs> it's like what my brother has or what I had earlier in the movie. Mm. But I, I it didn't of... work for me because it felt like, to me, with the way that scene was constructed for me personally, it felt like he should have known who she was at this point, but mm. it didn't work. A very similar scene happens in the film Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, where a certain crime boss gets killed in certain ways, and it's like uh, characters that have intersected through the movie and all that, and some of the characters know the characters that have killed the other characters, and some don't, and it works because they interact like, oh, I don't know who this person, or what's happened here, or oh, I see what's happened here. Mm. But, like, this year just felt a little bit like, okay. I just saw it all as, like, as soon as he leaves the room with Pando and all that, he he's putting it all behind him. He doesn't care about any of anything that happens next. So I guess yeah. 
that would fit into like the look of like I don't care what you're doing the mm. gunshots I don't care that there are gunshots uh, anything else you want to discuss about the movie itself the movie itself there was something I guess I, I well, we we did just mention the, the the shooting scene at the end where they played yeah. the song. That was that was something else I remembered about the film. Yeah, yeah, they played the song. I really liked when they were in the car driving to kill Heath Ledger. He's like, "Oh, I love this song." <laughs> it's like a really sweet old song. Like it's nothing even menacing. And Brian Brown just like, "Yeah, I love this song." And it's like played for menace, but it's like the juxtaposition of what the song is mm. was brilliant. The music was really good. Yeah, like like the yeah. the end song. I can't remember what's called again. The These there. Days by Powderfinger. Oh uh, yeah, and that would have been one of their first big songs used in a feature film as well, right? Powderfinger was only yeah, just the, starting then, I would that was say. A, that was a song I knew, and I was surprised when I watched the film the first time. I was like, oh, it was made for this scene. There you go. Not even for this film, but for that scene. Okay, okay. I, didn't, I read this trivia I didn't realise that. I didn't see that piece of yeah, trivia, appar- actually. So that's interesting, because yeah. that's a huge song for them. Apparently the director showed them this scene. It's like, can you make a song for this? And they made this song. And I like Powderfinger, so it works. Hmm. Um... Yeah, this movie's really good. Um, I have nothing more to say about the movie, uh, individual scenes or things and stuff. I just really appreciate this type of movie. This is very Australian. It is one of the five to six movies we make. But whenever we do make them, I do enjoy them. My big problem is I've seen ones, for me, done better, like Idiot Box, which one day we'll hopefully cover. My big... My big problem with it is Heath Ledger, I didn't believe his character's uh, idiotic choices and it kind of infuriated me. Well, something like Idiot Box, when they made idiotic choices, they weren't actually that dumb considering what that universe had set up for them. In that movie, you get this whole idea that they're these disillusioned people stuck in the uh, uh, mundane boringness of lower class western suburb life well he ledger everything's going right for him and he still fucks it up which i can see working and it has worked in other things but it just didn't work for me rose byrne giving a great performance and i just want to say with her i've always asked why do we like her and i'm not saying that she's not a bad actress i just want to know what is it that she's known for because everyone kind of knows who rose byrne is but I don't know what the thing she's known for is. Mm. I looked up her filmography and I'm like, is it the Insidious movies? But I remember when they came out, people were still like, oh yeah, Rose Byrne, that well-known actress, Rose Byrne. And I looked her up and she's like, one well, of the hottest women voted in 2006 and like all these things. I'm like, yeah, but what was she doing then? She was just doing like little Australian things and whatnot. And she's actually acted with Brad... She's been in a Brad Pitt movie, which is kind of funny because in this movie they mention... Oh yeah, that character we haven't mentioned yet. Um, he mentions like, "Oh, are you into movies? Movies? You into Heath Ledger's dumbass not friend from his uh, strip club strip club days." Yeah, he's funny. He hasn't really gone on to do much. I was a bit surprised by that. That actor, I thought he was really good. Mm. But uh, Rose Byrne, I just I'm always find it curious. Like I remember when we had her on for Annie, and that was one of my big questions. Like, why do we all just acknowledge her as like this great actress that we all like? But when I look her up, I go, what What is the, the thing? You know, like with actors, there's yeah, a yeah, thing yeah. you know. That's your whole thing with The Rock. Like he hasn't had the thing yet. But we all know him for being the wrestler, The Rock. But Rose yeah. Byrne's like that actress where it's like every review of something she's in, they're like, and Rose Byrne is back. I've loved Rose Byrne all along. Rose Byrne's one of the a really great actors. Like, what do we know her for? Like, what's the definer? Maybe she was in like pro wrestling and we don't know this. I guess it's Insidious <laughs> or she was in X-Men First Class. There's Moira Taggart. I don't know. I looked her up and I was like, ah, is this it? 
I don't know. I don't remember anyone being like, yeah, she was the best part of the Glenn Close TV show Damages. I don't know. But I enjoyed this movie. I'm glad that you recommended it. It was different. It was different. I'm glad that I had seen it. Like, it will be added to the pantheon of those Australian suburbia nightmare movies where you turn to crime. And the comedy and Brian Brown alone is worth watching it. I'd recommend it, definitely. I was a bit unsure at first with his ghost brother. The ghost brother doesn't work. I will say another thing that didn't work for me, not the chemistry, but the romance itself between uh, Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne's character. Mm. I think you needed at least two more scenes between them just to kind of flesh it out more. Maybe I'm just getting old and soft. I had the same complaint in the new Spider-Man movie. It's like I would have liked more scenes dedicated to them interacting with one yeah, another. Yeah, that, that scene, the, the first time they see themselves in daytime, the, the photo scene. That was a great scene. It was a great scene, but there was a definite awkwardness between them, and I feel like they... And that's on purpose. And, and obviously, yeah, that's intentional awkwardness, but the thing I'm saying is um, how they moved away from it. The next time mm. they see each other, there's not as much awkwardness. Yeah, there's a different type of awkwardness, because he's yeah. pretending everything's fine, knowing things are going to turn sideways real quick. Yeah, have like a middle scene between those two. Uh, yeah, I would have just like one or two more scenes of just them interacting. And also the movie ends weird. <laughs> the yeah, movie's like, they're like at the airport, joke. and he's like, I don't know how to pay. Do I pay with money? He's like, what did you think? You're going to pay with bananas? And he's like, I've never flown before. <laughs> it's a weird way to end the movie. Yeah. But overall, I would recommend. I enjoyed it. Thank you for very, thank you very much for recommending it, Bartzik. I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. Your final thoughts on this? God, it sucked. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed revisiting it. Um, it was. I, I remembered laughing at it a lot, but I'm glad to realize that the film is a funny film. Yeah. Um, very intense scenes. I, I appreciate them a lot more now, having grown up, even though I technically studied it yeah. for a bit. What um, did you have to study about it? That's the thing I cannot remember. And I even looked through my documents on my computer, like, what media documents do I have from that year? And there's nothing. Maybe I must have I must have written something in a workbook or something, but I can't Jeez, find it. Because I was trying to figure out what the angle was for studying this. I definitely remember we rewatched that that photo scene. <sighs> it's such a good scene. Yeah, we definitely studied something about that, but I cannot remember what. Rarely, I will say this, rarely in Australian movies, let alone big blood budget Hollywood movies, do I genuinely think a scene visually is beautiful. Mm. Like, actually, like, beautiful. Not just like, oh, that's a beautiful shot. Like, that scene was beautiful. That scene of the photography of him taking a photo of her was genuinely touching and beautiful and stunning. I was like, wow, that's that's stunning. Yeah. We definitely analyzed something about that scene, but I cannot remember. <laughs> She's hot. That's the end. That's what you analyzed. Well, no, the, how day, hot the day is was Rose, hot. The how, day was hot. And she was too. <laughs> how hot is Rose Byrne? Very. She's, she's burning. She's very cute. Hmm. She, she was. And yes. did you know that her boyfriend and father of her children is Bobby Cannavale who was in Annie as the guy who was in between songs really so they were acting as a couple they were couple acting yeah okay did she sing in Annie yes she did she had several songs in Annie and she was really good I liked her in Annie <laughs> I liked 2014 Annie bitches get used to it it was a good film um anything more um, There's a lot to this movie that we probably haven't discussed, but yeah. overall, it is just a solid little movie worth recommending. I definitely agree. I guess I would like to mention the washing machine thing. Do that it. was pretty funny. So, one of the big things that really, uh, not brings down, but is the downfall of Akko in the film, is the fact that he 
once accidentally left bullets in his shorts when <laughs> he put them through the washing machine. And they were old bullets. <laughs> yes, and this was one of the things we alluded to way at the beginning of this episode when we said that uh, the dead brother influences uh, characters' intuitions. He, the, We start this scene of just the brother in this dark laundry. Yeah. And... Not saying a, not, not saying a not thing. Not doing anything... And I guess he makes a sound or something. He knocks over the, the laundry basket. Yeah, he, lo- he knocks over a laundry basket and Akko in the other room hears it, grabs his metal bat and walks to the laundry, turns the light on, realises, oh, thing just fell. And then he notices, oh, he's left these rusty old bullets li- on the shelf. And he thinks, oh, well, you know, I better use them then. And he puts them in his gun. And You're forgetting that the bullets were all covered in, like, detergent? Yeah, yeah. They were rusty and covered in, like, a detergent of some sort. He had to wipe them off, and it was weird. Yeah, he wiped them off with, like, clean clothes or something? Yeah. Yeah, he just wiped them. Yeah, and this basically makes his gun malfunction. Fuse. Fuse. And Brian Brown is so infuriated by this. When I heard his in- when I heard Brian Brown's initial reaction, I'm like, I remember that being one of my favourite reactions and from the first time I watched it. Ow, shit, fuck. <laughs> but also when he's, like, going through, like, so you used... Old bullets. Yeah. And you didn't bring any more bullets. Well, you wanted me to put 20 slugs and such and such. And he's like, ah. Yeah, he used them all, so he had to use these, like, defective bullets. he's like, ah, do you have a gun? Yeah, it's back in the car. Go get it. Well, fuck off and go get it. <laughs> fuck off and go get it. I loved him. And then later on, when the girl is shooting uh, all of them in the Powderfinger sequence, mm. uh, Akko's the last one standing, aims the gun, Still malfunctions because he didn't ref- he didn't bother doing anything with it. He, he gives us one last swear and he's killed off screen. I will say one funny thing I liked was uh, uh, that chick's mother, who's like, "Oh, go on, go oh, yeah. see your mother." <laughs> and then later on, he's like, "I swear on my mother's grave." And you're like, "No, we know your mum's alive." <laughs> so he was he was still lying through his teeth at the end. Uh, but yeah, this movie's. If you're interested in more Australian movies of this nature, I've mentioned a few: Idiot mm. Box, Getting Square. There's a few others I'll probably throw up on the social medias as recommendations for this type of movie. Like, this is a very Australian type of film, but they're fun movies, and even though there might be a cultural difference for some, they're, they're still unique and interesting, and it's just an interesting perspective to delve into. Uh, and they're fun, most of them. I would say most of these movies have a fun atmosphere, even though they're dealing with dark subject matters of crime and death yeah. and misery. Um, yeah, that's about it. Well, Vartek, I think it's time to get into the plug zone and plug in a promo from one of the amazing podcasts that have given us a promo for their show. Of course, I would suggest to any fellow podcaster uh, to email us or contact us on the social medias. We're on Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. And our email is spitandpolished at gmail.com. If you're a podcast and you want to get in contact with us with a promo or want to come on the show or just kind of get in touch, you can contact us through any of those. And if you're just a general listening person and you want to give us some feedback, say, hey, I don't like what you said about Heath Ledger not being as cool as you think he, as I think he is, Ryan, contact us on the social medias like I just stated, or the email. Film suggestions, we're always looking for some more listening people's choice. We are, we are. Um, well, let's uh, get into the plug zone in three, two, one. Plug it in. Beep, beep, beep. Hi, I'm Alan, co-host of Chats, a television podcast. Every week on Chats, my best friend Magellan and I watch and discuss two episodes of a cult classic TV show with an emphasis on comedy and criticism. 
Shows we've covered previously on Chats include Farscape, Freaks and Geeks, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Newsroom, Pushing Daisies, and Babylon 5. Subscribe to Chats wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, check out ChatsPod on Twitter. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D on Twitter. Chats, a podcast that's almost entirely about TV. That was beautiful, Bartek. Yeah, good choice of background music. I agree. It was very YouTube music choice. Um, mm. Bartek, you chose a movie that I hadn't seen before. Yes, that was my one main goal for picking two hands, And you actually. chose a movie that we both had seen before, and then listening people's choice was one that we had both seen before. But one my choice <laughs> was one that you hadn't seen before. Yes. So I think it's time to shake things up by choosing something you haven't seen before. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, Ryan, I swear to God, I've seen every unappreciated masterpiece, every single mystery box thing, but I pretend I don't. And we're going to watch something that a lot of people haven't seen before, oddly enough, but it's worth a watch. Uh, It's from the mind of talking head singer David Byrne. Mm -hmm. It's a film called True Stories from 1986. Ooh, 80s. It's an 80s movie. It's an interesting little movie. It's pleasant. That's the difference. We haven't had a real pleasant movie. Like, Cannibal the Musical is the closest, but that movie is still about saying fuck you to Leanne. Well, yeah, the four (laughs) films we've done so far all had crime in them. This one, I'm not too sure. I don't think it has crime in it in my memories. So the 1986 film True Stories will be the one for next week. Mm -hmm. A fun little romp. Um, hopefully, uh, we both enjoy it. I don't know. Um, it's a film. Uh, yes. And, uh, that's it. Listening people. We've talked about two hands. Uh, like I said, you can contact us on those social medias, Facebook and Twitter and spit and polished at gmail.com is our email. It's all in the description below. You can rate us and rank us and share us on all the podcast platforming sites. There are We're on all of them, basically. Uh, and yeah, just share us around like the virus we are. We appreciate all the listening and the support that we've been getting for the new format and all of that stuff. It's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, uh, until next time, I guess, Bartek, remember, fuck off. <laughs>